Welcome to Unplug It as we enter round 11 of the AFL season. It is the halfway point. We will go to the bye at the end of this game. It is after a really hectic block of schedules. We get a game at home on a Sunday afternoon to go into a week off against a team that has been under siege, but has been under siege for a number of different reasons and on a number of different occasions this year. So we'll talk about that with North Melbourne uh, a little bit later on in the podcast. We'll be joined by Francis Leach, who's done a lot of media over the journey, a passionate St Kilda supporter, has worked a lot with the club, has a, a very large passion for the world game as well, and has travelled the world extensively, uh, covering that magnificently. He's been an A-League commentator as well, uh, spent some time with SEN, the ABC, and of course with Triple J. Uh, before that, but we'll reflect on the Adelaide victory. Apologies if my voice is a little bit crackly. I'm on day four of COVID at the moment, so which I got the day after the uh, the Adelaide clash, and I think um, it's got everyone's number on it somewhere along the way. But uh, it was a 21 point win over the Crows in a game where we didn't play particularly well, which in one sense is always slightly concerning, but the other hand, it's pleasing when you can win a game interstate coming from behind repeatedly when you haven't played particularly well. It's the type of win that good sides produce. And it's the type of win that sides with a lot of belief tend to produce. So I know our boys that we've referenced a bit at RWB footy have spoken a lot about trust and faith, and it's a very difficult thing to do as a St Kilda supporter, but I must admit there were stages in that night where there was a little bit of it. You kind of sensed that as bad as it was going, that there would be a time in the match where we had our chance and we would have our moment. And it was just whether that would carry us to victory. Uh, and there was always that faith that there was something else we could give. So hopefully that can continue to carry us forward. Uh, a game where we were probably carried by super performances from four or five players, um, which effectively got us across the line. But always nice to beat Adelaide. Only the second time we've beaten them since 2012. And we spoke about our horrendous record against the South Australian teams last week at 2-22. and 22. Well, it's now 3-22. and 22, And all of the wins have come at the Adelaide Oval. So I reiterate, my statement from last week that I'd rather play at the Adelaide Oval than at Cairns. But Nick, your uh, assessment was one of the rare occasions that the, the three of us were able to watch a game all in the same place and great to get the result. Well, I think in your intro there, you've pretty much referenced all the notes that I had for, for this game. Apologies. So we'll just uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll wrap up now and we'll see you next week. But no, you're spot on. I, th- I think it was the first time in two, two and a half years that we've watched a game all together, mm-hmm. the, th- the three of us, plus a couple of others. Um, so that, that was great to, to do and, and great to get back to back to that. But um, you're right as well. It was one of those games that historically we lose. You know, we lose those, we lose those games, um, but we did what good teams do these days, which is fight through the adversity, fight through poor form, fight through execution issues and fight through a, a team that was a bit more desperate for most of the game. And, and they were more desperate. They were the better team for most of the night, but you know, we did what good teams do and we worked through it. We fought right to the end and, um, you know, to come away with with that eight goal to three last quarter was really impressive. You know, we, we were under pressure. Somehow you, you look at, at the game and, and watch the, the replay a couple of times, but watching it live, you felt like we were under the pump from the first bounce um, and that, that we were certainly not the better team, but we actually won three out of the four quarters, uh, which is amazing when you watch the game in its entirety. Uh, because it, did, it certainly didn't feel like that, but um, th- the way that we finished that game, and, and we're used to we're used to coming out after halftime and and having a, a ripper third quarter now this season, um, but it was it was really the last quarter this week that that did the job and um, really you know put put the gap 
on Adelaide. And it's when, when our big guys stood up, you know, it was, it was Brad Crouch. It was uh, Tim Membry. It was Paddy Ryder and Ron Marshall, Cooper Sharman, uh, Mason Wood, Max King, all big blokes, big bodies that, that put their bodies on the line, did the hard work, put the yards in and, and kick goals. And, and we saw the rewards and that's, that's what leaders do. And I think we saw, I think we saw an element of leadership that we haven't seen out of this footy club for a long time. And I think we're starting to see that now over the last couple of weeks. I think it's a good point, um, H, that, that Nick just made about, we spoke about the superstars where we know that Hill and King and Wilkie and Crouch played blinders and you could probably put Howard and maybe Sinclair in that sort of frame. But um, the big moments, so, I mean, memory was relatively quiet, big moment, Sharman, big moment. Billings had a good last quarter having been unsighted. So that they're encouraging that, even, you know, when it mattered, even players that were quiet were able to do what they needed at the time. Yeah, I, I, I don't think you could actually go through the team and sort of pick out and go, well, that player didn't really do what we what we wanted them to. There was there was no real, as, as, as I wouldn't say bad as we played, but as quiet as we sort of played, I guess you could say, in the first three quarters. It, it wasn't, because we were playing, I guess, bad football. It was, it just felt like kind of a bit, I guess, slow. It was like slower than what we've been used to for a little bit. It, um, it just, their, their pressure was pretty good, Adelaide. I, I've got to give them credit for that. Their pressure was really good. Um, they, The mistakes we did made, they forced us into most of the time. We, like, we had a few turnovers, but they, they're not ones that you go, Oh, like wasn't we didn't see any of McKenzie's across the goal kicks like the other week. We didn't see players basically just kicking it to no one when they're out by himself. The, there's a few times where we've cleared a ball and it's gone forward and we're going, oh, well, they've got three defenders back on our one forward. And then you're thinking, well, we probably could have made a better decision here, but there's a that's a kick out of, I guess, a contest in a rush. So it's there is an opportunity there to, I guess, look at better opportunities. But there's also the thing in there that the, the, the player with the ball isn't always going to be the one to blame under pressure. We kind of need the forwards to be aware of what's happening and get to those contests a bit more. That And it's not a, I guess, it's not a huge issue when you keep the opposition to a similar score. Um, and then do what we did. I mean, it, you look at the numbers and it was seven goals in 93 minutes or something. And then we kicked seven more in 26 minutes. So it's a fact that we've sort of, I guess it's been an arm wrestle where both teams have just pressured each other and we've outlasted them. And that, and that's the best way you can look at it. We've basically got to that point where we're both holding on to that arm wrestle at the top. And all of a sudden we've just started pushing them towards the table and, Pretty much slammed their slammed their wrist into the table with a few minutes to go. So it's a um, it, it's a good win on the road. It was always a good win on the road. You can't can't just say oh it's Adelaide. It's interstate. It's a place we don't win normally. So it, it it's just a case of maybe let let's get a bit more of those um, instead of paying, playing. 20 minutes being to 40, 30 minutes of 40, 40 minutes of 40. Let, let's play 60 plus minutes of football. Let, let's really hit a team hard. We, well, I mean, we saw against Geelong, we 
we played a half of football, I guess. We have other games where we've played about maybe close to three quarters of football. But it's just getting these games and just being consistent throughout four quarters and playing a really good, I guess, brand for the entire game and not having to, um, I guess, change too much, play the way we want to play. So it's good to see the these runs we're having, but that's not going to win us every game. And yeah, we, we really got to try to get a little bit more consistent. It's, it's God, amazing. It's, we've been, yeah. we've been talking about wanting, wanting the club to, to kind of be able to put the foot down and finish a team off. And, and they kind of did it in some respect. They did it to finish a game, which was, which was really nice to see, but we did it from being a goal or two down. I'd love to see us do it when we're four goals up and then put the foot down and bury a team. Um, I mean, it kind of feels like in, in retrospect and in hindsight that we really did bury Adelaide um, and it was quite comprehensive in those last kind of 15 or 20 minutes, but it would have been nice to have, have been more comfortable before that, to have had better football leading up to that point where, you know, by the time you, you put the foot down, it's really about percentage and not, and not kind of just cementing a win. It's, it's, you know, w- where you can really take advantage and, and start bullying another team. Um, and I'd, I'd still love to see that. I'd still love to see us, you know, going to the last quarter, being four or five goals up, and then put the foot down and, and really put, you know, put an elbow to throat type thing and 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 demolish a team by ten goals or, or hundred points or whatever, which we just haven't done for so long. Yeah, probably the, the Hawthorne game is the closest we came to both of those things, four quarters and and, and driving it home. Obviously, slightly slow start, but yeah, it was a game that we we won it in a manner that we would normally lose it. We would often be Adelaide in that situation where we would pepper away and, and miss chances. And the first half thing is, is something to, uh, to, to look at. I mean, if you measure the opposition, so we had a slow first half against Adelaide and we're two goals down slow first halves against Richmond and Geelong where three or four goals down slow first half against Melbourne, we were eight goals down. So that's, I guess the difference in the, the level of the team that you, you do that against. And, particularly this week is North Melbourne, probably their only chance is a fast start. So we've got to make sure that we, um, you know, you squish them early that that's it for, for them. So um, it's very important that they certainly rectify that going through the, the votes. I imagine that H starting with you were relatively straightforward. It probably just comes down to the order, but um, how did you want to play it? I was going to say, I've got a feeling we, there could only be three players to get votes this week, despite, I mean, <laughs> we there's probably six or seven, who deserve them, but I think we're, I think we're pretty much set on three. But it's yeah, as you're saying, it's just gonna. I think it's gonna come down to which order we put it in. I mean, can, might be a little bit controversial some of these. So, um, I end up going. I end up only getting one with Max King, six goals, but I'm only going to give him one vote. But, geez, that's a brilliant one vote. That's that's what we've been looking for. Is what we've been. Um, wanting to see every week and it hurts only giving him one um it's really i've looked at it the fact that yeah oh he's kicked six straight he's played a brilliant game he's he's only had six kicks though which when you look at 100 conversion is a magnificent way to look at it um but i just feel the other votes i'm going to give they're the reason he got those six goals. And I think that that's, that's part of where we're looking at it. I think how these votes are going to vary between possibly, I don't know yet. Um, but I go two to Cal Wilkie 
His game was down back was magnificent. Um, it continues on with the, the form he's been showing and he, he's just absolutely destroying the forward lines at the moment. Um, I mean, they, these big names, it's, it's almost like, who are they? Are, are these forwards meant to be good or what, what's going on with some of these players? Because he, he, he's just making them look amateur at times. It's it's quite, it's quite great uh, that we've just picked him up out of South Australia. He's wasn't known to anyone. He's just snuck under the radar. We've gone, yeah, come have a game. And all of a sudden we're looking at, we're looking at all Australian selection for him. If he gets, starts getting this recognition that he deserves. And we've just started to see him creeping into a couple of rolling all Australian teams and teams that are weak. And so it's good to see him finally getting noticed a bit, but, it would be still be nice if he didn't get noticed and he just kept flying under the radar. So, um, but yeah, three. I, I can Brad Hill was best on he, his use of the ball, his ser- service around the ground, finding space, finding hitting targets. It, it, it just the way he ran. I mean, it was his two hundredth game, and he basically said, "Yep, today's my, or tonight's my night. I'm going to make this my game." I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to play my game of football and make them chase me all night. I'm going to be the one leading the way. And, and that's exactly what he did. He just just led the way all night. And it, it's we've seen, like, over the last few years, uh, there was that inconsistency, inconsistency that sort of crept in. He'd have a few bad weeks and then a good game, and then he'd drop off again. And But I think... He has really found a spot in the team now, and the, we know he knows his role, and his teammates know his role, and that the teammates knowing his role, I think, was the biggest point to him really improving the way he's been improved improving this year. So, um, yeah, just keep going, Hilly, because this, uh, this is the football we love to watch you playing. Spot on, Nick. Your uh, your three. Yes, same three, slightly different order. Um, I did want to give honourable mentions to Sinclair, Crouch, Membry, Marshall, Gresham and Wanganine Malera. Um, but, yeah, I mean, those those three, I think, were the, the, the standout three. I gave one vote to Cal Wilkie, uh, 19 touches, seven marks and 10 intercepts. I mean, this, this guy just keeps getting better week after week after week, year after year. Um, you know, he's just the most reliable defender that we've had probably since Max Hudgeton. Um, in his prime, very similar, you know, good closing speed, long arms, good reach, the ability to put a, a key defender a foot taller and 10 kilos heavier in his, in his back pocket. Um, it's just, he's a freak and, and absolutely has to be in all Australian contention uh, right now based on off, off what he's done so far this year, right, H? Um, I gave two to Max King. You're not going to see too many better six-kick games than Max King's six kicks, six marks, six goals. I think he had a handball as well, just to ruin the stat line. But um, yeah, I mean, he was he was dominant, and we've been waiting for that sort of performance. You know, we'd love it to be, you know, twelve marks and fifteen kicks and eight goals. But you know, six kicks, six goals. You can't complain, especially in a night like that where scoring really was at a premium for most of the night, um, and scoring was difficult. You know, Adelaide butchered the ball going to fifty and and. Um, you know, it was one of those nights where just 
efficiency for us was high. Um, we didn't have as much of it for most of the game, but efficiency was high and, and he was able to take advantage. And there were some beautiful kicks of the ball uh, amongst those, those six. And it was just, just lovely to see him get, get those rewards. But Bradley Hill was, was quite clearly, at least in, in my opinion, the, the best on ground uh, on the night, 30 touches, 20 kicks at, at 90% disposal efficiency, seven score involvements and a goal. 586 meters gain. He was everywhere, um, and just you know, like like we've mentioned a, a number of times over the course of this season, Bradley Hill is not a bad player. Put him into a bad team or an average team, and you're not going to get the benefits of a guy like Brad Hill. Put him into a good team when everyone is pulling their weight around him, and you've got uh, clearance players winning the ball. You're winning the stoppages. You've got Ruckman dominating, um, and you you know, you don't really have a weak spot around the ground and allows it allows that cherry on top player like Bradley Hill to really shine. And, and he's been doing that this year. He's, he's been in our, probably in our top five, top six players all year. He's had a number of games where he's, he's been amongst the best, if not the best on ground. Um, and this was, was another, another stellar performance from, from Brad Hill. Yeah, I was at the same three and, and the <clears throat> same order as you just went through there, Nick, as well. I think my apologies were Brad Crouch, Stugall Howard, I thought played very well, 11 spoils or something like that. And Sinclair, 32 possessions, but 22 of them kicks. Um, he was very important, but I gave one vote to Cal Wilkie. He was outstanding, outstanding every week. He blanketed Tex, who's been a huge problem for us every time we played the, the Crows recently and I saw that all Australian discussion pop up on Twitter a little bit about Cal Wilkie um, after that game and someone replied I've got no idea who it was someone replied to the post saying oh Tom Stewart and James Sicily will have a bit to say about that and I'm thinking well what, what exactly will, will they have to, to say will they be asking him what time he wants to be picked up to be driven to the all Australian night what, what what size his jacket is or um, I can't imagine uh, what they'd need to be saying, what he wants for dinner. Um, but, yeah, he, he should surely be in there. Um, two votes to, to Max King. Look, six goals. We don't win the game without him. We, we obviously don't win the game without those three players mentioned. But um, read a stat from Swamp or Josh Kay or one of the stats gurus on Twitter about um, players that have kicked six goals in an away game in Perth and Adelaide in their career. And the names, there's about 10 names on the list, and they're like mm. Lockett, Dunstall, Carey, uh, I think Paul Salmon, those types of players, and then you got Max King uh, in the uh, in the list as well, which which says a lot about that. He obviously kicked six in Perth last year against the Eagles, and six on Saturday night. And, and Brad Hill start to to finish. He was clearly our best player in the first half, kept us in the game, and just kept running. He the beautiful kick across goal to set up the Mason Wood goal that put us in front in the last quarter. Um, just just so many wonderful touches. He had a hand in Ryder's goal at the end too. He was he was there the whole way through. So he gets the uh, the three votes for sure and certain. Probably the best game he's played for the the Saints across the journey. So that was the three two and one with with plenty of apologies. And I love every week that someone highlights on Twitter too one of Nasai Wanganee Malera's kicks and this one coming out of the back pocket in the first quarter that sliced through the corridor and set up Gresham I think through the middle. It was a ridiculously bold kick for a uh, for a kid to do out of the back pocket and just nailed it. So uh, that was very encouraging. Our, our next I guess, I think that's one of our listeners, by the way, Brad. Brad. Oh, yes. So thank, thanks for uh, thanks for getting those highlights because they're they're awesome. Yeah, if you can keep finding them, that'd be good. And that's why he's in the team as a point of difference, Nasiah. But our next guest, Francis Leach, uh, is uh, a sports journalist, also a career journalist, football commentator. Uh, and broadcaster and uh, had a lot of passions, music, politics, sport, and 
We'll talk about mainly the music and sports side with a little bit of politics thrown in, of course, so given we are speaking with a very passionate Francis Leach. Would you please welcome Francis Leach? Our special guest this week is one of the more passionate Saints around, has enjoyed a long media career, combining a lot of loves that seem to be uh, consistent with St Kilda supporters, that of music and football. And uh, a journey that started back in the day with Triple J, obviously with SEN and the ABC and various other disciplines doing work with the St Kilda Football Club as well. Had the pleasure of working with Francis for a number of years across that journey. Francis Leach, thanks for your time. Hey, everyone. Darren, how are you? Nick, Aaron, it's good to be here. Now, um, we'll go back to the, the, the start without revealing your, your age. Uh, how did the St Kilda journey start for you? Uh, with my mum. Uh, in fact, still does. Like, I still go to the footy with mum. But uh, I grew up in the northern suburbs uh, of Melbourne where St Kilda fans were as uh, rare as uh, Albino Wales. There weren't too many of us out there. But mum was a Saints fan. Uh, she grew up in the northern suburbs as well. But her... Um, brothers and most of my relatives are Mount Collingwood people, but she loved Verdon House. She thought Verdon House was a bit of a spunk, a bit of a spunk rat, and so she followed the Saints. And um, and as is often the way with Aussie Rules footy, um, the women in my family are probably more passionate, at least mum was more passionate about football than dad. Um, and so, you know, dad would take my brothers and other sisters to see Essendon play sometimes, but I went with mum and um, she would take us, you know, get on the train and go down to Moravan. It's always a bit of an adventure when I was younger. Um, and watch uh, those home games. It wasn't great times, a lot of it, particularly in the early 80s, but, that, that, you know, very vivid memories of of, of being at Moorabbin and, and watching those games and, um, you know, some some spectacular moments and some really memorable games that live long in the history of the club. Um, and so that's where it all started. And here we still travel on, marching on, in the hope that one day we can watch a premiership team. <laughs> one day, one day. We'll get there. It has to happen one day. But, mate, you, uh, you mentioned... Uh, heading down to Moorabbin and, and following the club throughout the 80s. But um, your mum, Verdon Howell fan, who, who was your favourite St Kilda player growing up? Uh, at the very start, it was Cowboy Neil. Um, and I remember vividly one of my earliest memories uh, of being at the footy was actually being at Princess Park in the early 70s. So I was born in 1968. And I remember it would have been about 73, 74. My other cousins were Carlton fans. And so they took myself and my mum to see St Kilda play Carlton at a very packed Princess Park. And I was at, um, at sitting on the steps of the old Robert Heatley stand there in my little very tight woolen jumper or St Kilda jumper, standing out like anything. There wasn't too many people around. Little kid, you know, kids used to go fully kitted up. I was a full kit kid. I was long socks, you know, black shorts and a cowboy Neil jumper. And cowboy decked Vin Waite right in front of the um the the member stand there and these and I'll never forget it because it was um you know that sort of the crowded grandstand um and a lot of older people there and these women stood up these elderly women they looked ancient to me they probably weren't that old but they hell had sort of in the days when uh women of a certain age would color their hair blue or purple they all look like Marge Simpson if I would think about it now and they just stood up and they just said some words that I had never heard a lady say before all directed at the cowboy and I'm Sitting there with a little, like, you know, quaking my little um, Jonko shorts and my Rombrosi boots um, in fear because I was shouting obscenities at Cowboy Neil who just um, sent Vin Wade into next week. This is different. <laughs> so Cowboy was my guy. So that's 
at an opposition ground. How, how was Moorabbin growing up? The, the, the crowd that we have, did, did, did you feel safer being amongst, I guess, our own fans as opposed to going to Prince's Park and being amongst, even being a little kid, you might join in and be part of them as well? Oh, did, did that... uh, so, yeah, I mean, it was familiar. Like, we'd get there early and sit down the front and, um, you know, but it was a day out, really. <laughs> Uh, it weren't too many wins in those days, but we had good time. And, you know, and the promise always was, uh, you know, a bag of donuts at the end of the day. So I always hung in there for that, even if the footy wasn't great. Um, but there were some incredible moments. I do remember one of the rare times we all went down there. It was 1978. I forget what round it was, but it was a famous game where St Kilda played Essendon. So all my family, I mean, there's a lot of us. We went down there, the um, Saints faithful, and my Essendon barracking brothers and sisters and my dad. And that was the day that uh, Carl Dietrich and Gary Sidebottom decided to destroy Essendon. And I think they knocked Terry Kale into next week and Merv Nagel got knocked out. And I forget the other, Wayne Primer, another little guy got knocked out and, uh, the Essendon uh, president called St Kilda Football Club a bunch of animals, and we won the we won that game. Um, but it was very violent. I do remember it because there was a lot, lot going on, and I think in the end it was a bit of a spiral that season. That we played really well at the start of the season, had a horrible run in the middle of it, including including that game at uh, the Witten Oval or the Western Oval where Calvin Templeton kicked fifteen goals against us. Um, and played shocking football. Then in the back end of the season, came racing home, beat Carlton on the final day at Moorabbin. That was that that famous footage where Dennis Collins sort of play acted that he got punched by Robbie Muir. Um, but we didn't make the finals. We just missed out. So that was that was the last as a kid. That was the last really good season the Saints had before it all turned to shit a little bit. And we had a really lean time up until about eighty seven. So uh, there were some slim pickings in between times. Yeah, that's 78. Obviously, the um, that, that game against Essendon, I think we were 5-1-1 one and one when we won that. As you say, lost a stack of games in a row. That uh, the game where Templeton kicked 15, I think it's on YouTube, in the last quarter he kicked about eight and the ball... Oh, some of the free kicks are... Yeah, only had to go within 10 metres of him and the umpires were whistle happy and <laughs> anything like that. But yeah, came home with a flurry. I don't know if Dad always talks about that being a huge missed opportunity that year, but... Yeah. Um, what was the, the 87 revival like for a, uh, you know, a teenage St Kilda supporter? Seeing, we hadn't won, we'd won four wooden spoons in a row. We had Plugger, we had Winmar, Daryl Bulldog was coaching. We'd won five in a row. What was that journey like? Yeah, it was exciting because, you know, I'd never seen my team play in the finals. Not, not my living memory. And we didn't quite make it that year. We would have do it in a couple of years' time. But just to have a player to go and watch regularly as the best player in the competition in Tony Lockett was extraordinary. I was there the day that he kicked his 100th goal. I think it was against Footscray, wasn't it, at Moorabbin? And um, it was just so exciting. And, and of course, the doc was there. And um, it's, I still think it's a tragedy that he had that stroke that sort of made him, in, uh, that incapacitated him. Just, just last weekend, I was in the Trobe in Tasmania. I was in his hometown um, where he played his early football. And there's a beautiful, beautiful monument to him. It's one of the better football monuments I've ever seen. It's a gorgeous tribute to the doc. And I spent a good uh, 30 minutes just sort of like, you know, luxuriating in the stories about, about him and, um, and and what he meant to the people of Tasmania, both as uh, obviously as an Aussie, Aussie rules footballer. He's a very good cricketer as well. He played district cricket for St Kilda until the club told him to stop because he had to concentrate on his um 
He's a, he's footy. He was a good horse trainer um, as well, and he was a Labor politician, so he spoke to my heart too. So it was all of those things and a beautiful man to boot. So, um, yeah, the doc was involved. Plugger was there. It was like the two greatest players in Kilda ever had to that point, um, you know, were combining. And I think, you know, the doc's journey was stopped short by his health crisis, and I think that might have forestalled the progress for the next couple of years before that team finally um, got it together in 91 and played finals. We've spoken to a lot of former players from the 60s about Doc, and um, I guess it'd be interesting to hear some of your memories of Doc as uh, whether you remember him as, as a player or not, or but most likely from, from a coach and, and being around the footy club and being a fan of the club at that time. But what, what do you remember about Doc as coach of St Kilda? Uh, well, look, I only, we only, as I said, we only really got to see him as coach for a very brief time um, because of that illness. But I, I just, you know, he just, A, he, his passion for the club was quite evident and he, he wanted the club to succeed. And I think sometimes coaches can just bring a, a sort of a swell of self-belief within a football club that someone of that, that stature is prepared to invest in a club that um, had really struggled and it had sort of lacked its own sense of, Dignity in lots of ways. Kilda got stripped of its dignity in that early 80s period when we went into administration and we were paying our past players 22 cents in the dollar and, you know, people like John Elliott were looking to try to close us down or buy us out. You know, we were pretty much, um, you know, on our knees and and the forgotten um, child of the game. South Melbourne likewise, but South Melbourne, uh, you know, they were uh, basically subsumed in the Sydney Swans and and Reef Phoenix as a very successful football club. We didn't do that. Um, so to have the dock back um, just gave us a sense of hope that, that you know, someone who had the the DNA of success it still was a, a a through line to those years when we probably should have won more premierships and didn't uh, in that, that Alan Jeans period. Um, that was special. And there was, you know, the seeds of a revival there with the players that were starting to come through as well. Of course, Tony was foremost amongst those. Supporter to supporting uh, as, as a career in the media. Uh, on the transition, were you able to still be the secure fan or did you find you had to bite your tongue a little bit early, just not have those? Give that thought to legion allegiances or yeah, but it was, how was the transition? Well, it was interesting, like because in that I didn't. It wasn't my initial journey in the media. I, as uh, I think Darren said, I worked at Triple J for fourteen years. I uh, sort of grew up there, at the national broadcaster of the Youth Network, and that was my my. Uh, you know, that's the best job anyone could ever have. So I was um, working uh, the national youth broadcaster at that time, and at the end of it, I was thinking about. Um, what what career would be next for me and and uh, basically how I could continue to run away from the circus and not get a real job. Um, and sports broadcasting, sort of a couple of opportunities at the ABC presented themselves. And so I started to do it. But also at the back end of that, I'd become a serious journalist. I'd hosted four years of a current affairs program on Triple J, including covering uh, a number of elections and, you know, the, the events around and during the Afghanistan war and, and 9-11 and a few other serious events, the Tampa and others. So some serious heavy issues. So I was a, I considered myself a proper journalist and a serious journalist. So when I became a sports journalist, it was important that that continued on. So, I mean, the footy world, of course, obviously people do have their allegiances, but I'd like to think that, you know, outside of having fun, particularly with the Ox when we were doing the run home, we, we were allowed, we allowed ourselves to be who we, what we are. And it wasn't so much about uh, being hard headed journalists as much. Um, that I was as hard on my club as any when it came to the issues that mattered. Um, and that's the job and that's what you should be. And it's the same as, 
as when I was covering politics, even though I now work for the Labor Party and I'm involved in, in the Labor movement in lots of ways, um, I always put the integrity of the job and the profession ahead of my personal interests. And, and when you get to a point where you decide that you want to change gears and get involved as a participant in that process, then it's incumbent upon you to resign from that job and, and, and walk away from it rather than uh, just uh, use your position in the media as a way of uh, prosecuting an agenda, which was never anything I was going to do. So it was never an issue for me. Of course, you know, people would always accuse you of that, but but I'd like to think that for the most part when the Saints stuffed up or when things weren't going right that I would speak about it at truth to power and do so honestly and openly. I often found in the media once you walked away from a game or from a role or something like that it was then that maybe it sunk in thinking oh that was significant but obviously when you're doing the job you're doing the job and one of the yeah. early times I remember seeing you was on Fox footy in I reckon it was 2002 when Robert Harvey played his 250th game we beat Richmond at, at uh, the Docklands or whatever it was called at the time and was that one of those moments where you were sort of thinking yes I've covered a lot of serious news I used to go to Moorabbin but here I am now as a, a sports journalist interviewing one of the greatest players that's ever played for the club in the middle of the ground as he's getting carried off. That's pretty cool. Yeah, you give yourself those moments, absolutely. And, you know, there's been, I've, been, I've been very lucky to have a, a few of those over my broadcasting journey, um, particularly when it comes to covering the World Game. Uh, you know, I've been to a lot of World Cups and uh, seen some extraordinary, enjoyed some extraordinary. You do give yourself those moments where you're, where you allow yourself to soak it, you'd be crazy not to because you've got to remember whilst you're doing it, it's you're really lucky. I mean, I've had a very blessed career. I've been very lucky and I've um, had the opportunity to do some amazing stuff. So, yeah, never, never, take, that's not taking for granted the opportunity. Um, but you've always put the audience first, second and third. That's the most important thing. It's not about you when you're out there um, doing that stuff. It's about the people listening and watching and reading, you know, um, and that's, that's, you know, that's the important thing. When you stop doing that, you're not doing your job. Speaking about putting others first, uh, you were very heavily involved around the, the fundraising movement uh, for St Kilda in the Save Our Saints period, uh, putting on events and concerts and, and all that sort of stuff. What, what are your memories of, of that period? That was crazy. Like I think about it now, it was sort of sort of popped up a little while ago, just memories of that. And um, uh, it was I was working at Triple J at the time. The club was in real trouble. The uh, there was a number of people, including Mick Newton, who who basically started up uh, Roundhouse uh, Entertainment, which you know created the day the day on the green, which has been a huge success. And Mick's been involved in booking bands at Premier Artists and elsewhere for ages, and a few other people, including Michael Lynch, who was the manager of Tism. And I knew the guys in Tism were mad St Kilda fans. And we just said, well, what can we do? So we just had a, a meeting one day and just said, well, why don't we try and put on a gig at, um, of some sort? And, you know, it just it just steamrolled uh, to become this huge event. It was like a little mini big day out. We, we had in the bill, um, Tism headline, weddings, parties, anything, the Cosmic Psychos. Uh, the list went on and on and on, the foes. It was a really big night. And we had bands in two rooms and everyone wanted to be involved. It was just, it was a fantastic event. We packed the place. Yeah, we could have sold it three times over when I think about it now. But in, in the end, this is 1995, we raised uh, $40,000 for the club um, in its, its quest to stay alive, um, which was a significant sum of money 27 years ago. And um, it was good to be able to make a contribution. Uh, and, you know, it's one of those things that you think back on now that the club came perilously close to not existing. Uh, and, I'm, you know, I, I get to a point now where there's a bit of me that's a bit more hard-nosed about it and thinks, well, there needs to be some moral hazard involved in that now. And if it happened again, would I do it again? 
Um, I'm not so sure uh, because of that. I think the club needs to know that it needs to stand on its own two legs and it can't be bailed out. Um, I know the emotion will get involved even when it did happen, but I'd be I'd be mindful to say, well, you know, how many more chances do, do people need to get it right? But, um, yeah, it was great at the time. And, of course, that was 95. 96 was a little bit disappointing, but by 97, we, we dared to dream about winning a premiership. So, uh, we, you know, our time was pretty good. At least we gave ourselves a shot at it, you know. It was important at the time. And then in 97, you felt really connected to it because you felt like you'd made a contribution to, you know, to giving the club half a chance to contest for a flag, which it did and got so very close so uh yeah heady times and a real sense of satisfaction that i'd i've been able to make a contribution to, to keep a footy team on the ground and and did you get to pull the colors on one day in a fundraising game or a yeah i've done it a couple or... of times i've done it i did i did, I did. there was one there was a, a there was a game later in 95 at the back end of 95 where they had a night at moravin and um a whole bunch of people played that day. I think Rowan Conley played that day. Robbie Muir played that day. Dipper played. Bernie Quinlan played that day. Brian Taylor played that day. I'm just trying to think of the people who were there. Um, yeah, it was it was so much fun. It was a whole bunch of former Saints players playing. Stan Ellis had a run around that night. Um, and I got to, you know, got to to play. That was a lot of fun. Uh, it was a lot of fun, actually. And the funny thing was, I knew that there were cameramen there. So when they, when, um, uh, we ran out onto the ground. I made sure I was at the front to bat- burst through the banner. So when you look, I've still got the picture. When you look at the back page of the Herald Sun, there I am running through the banner, you know, for the, uh, <laughs> I got in Saints colours in, in in all my, at that point, 1995 uh, peroxide blonde glory. You wouldn't believe it now, but that's, that's what I was, that was what I was rocking back then in this sort of. You'll uh, have to, you'll have to send us a copy of that photo so we can <laughs> chuck it up on socials. Oh, fine. I think I've got it. I think I've got it in my, uh, my copy of uh, Heroes with Halos. I've got a whole bunch of little things stuck away in their little memorabilia bits. That's one of them. And so you mentioned a couple of oh, celebrities in that group. We know we know that we have a fair army of celebrity fans. Is there any that you've sort of attached to over the years and you message or you did you catch up with at games or anything like that? Is there anyone that you've really linked to over the years? I used to speak to Warney a bit about the Saints when I ran into him, particularly when we, uh, you know, I was doing cricket for a while and um, we'd talk about the cricket for a little bit and then we'd immediately start talking about St Kilda. Uh, So, uh, you know, I used to talk, you know, because everyone knows Shane was mad about St Kilda and he was. Um, So he he would be a regular. Sometimes I hear from Eric Bannett, you know, just on by the by talking about the Saints. I haven't spoken to Eric for a while, but I know how crazy he is about it. Um, Darren Berry, of course, Chuck, mad Saints man. Um, So, you know, we've agonised a lot over the years together. I had him on the radio for a year together with me as well. We had a lot of, and then in in the sort of post Ross line years are pretty tough. So we sort of got our, got each other through some tough times then. So um, yeah, there's been a few along the way that have that have been um, that are, that are sort of t- stay in touch with. But um, Shane's the one that obviously we all miss the most because uh, uh, he, you know, I think he carried the Saints in his heart uh, as close to his heart as anyone, uh, and. Um, you know, when if and when we do win a premiership, the idea that he won't be there to see it, that's uh, really, really sad still. That'll be a very sad day. It'll be a wonderful day, but it'll be a sad day as well. Yeah, there's a few up there, unfortunately, at the, at the mm-hmm. moment. We, we've lost a few of recent times in, in that mould. And, yeah, echo those sentiments on Chuck. We've had him on last year or the year before, and, yeah, he's a passionate man. Um, if you get into a text exchange 
post game and it's not going too well, he'll uh, he'll let you know. Yeah, he'll uh, he'll let you know. But Got plenty um, of ideas on how it should be better. <laughs> that's right. Uh, speaking of the the, the present day. Um, what are your views at the moment? It's been a, um, I guess, a pleasantly developing season after the, the Friday night of round one made us think that perhaps it wasn't going to be. Yeah, we can all, I think sometimes it was a bit of a lesson, wasn't it? Not to invest too much into round one results because, you know, the expectation is after such a long off season, that you, you're going to um, get the four points and that'll set your season up. And if you don't, well, the season's done. <laughs> Clearly that's irrational. Um, and it's proved to be so. Look, it's been great to watch and it's an exciting brand of footy it's Sort of, um, uh, and surprising to us in a sense as well, uh, because I thought last year, you know, it was di- clearly it was disappointing, and there were fears that we we'd sort of found a level that we might struggle to get get above. And um, the the nature of the wins have been impressive. Uh, even last week to win that game when we weren't playing that well, and we found a way. And when the when the whips were really cracking the last three or four minutes away from home, we were the team that uh, were emphatic in responding. Uh, the win against Geelong was really impressive as well. Just the capacity to produce um, that sort of powerhouse footy for thirty or forty minutes is exciting. It'd be great to see. Um, them reach that sort of level across four quarters or something near that level for four quarters and then they'd be a really hard team to beat. The game against Melbourne was a, a bit of a lesson in, in just how far the gap is. But if you look at it in a cold, hard light of day, there were times when, when, when we played our brand of football, we were able to match it with them. Um, so it's not impossible to bridge that gap. Um, whether we can do it this year, I don't know. Uh, I think maybe still there's some gaps in our personnel, which probably preclude us from being able to go really deep into the finals. I'm not sure that we have a, a you know, look at May and Lever and the way that Melbourne set up at the back remind me of those Geelong teams that won those three premierships as well in that ability to just have those defenders who can peel off and, and be second to a contest uh, and, and, and you know, nullify key forwards in the other teams. May and Lever do that better than anyone. I think uh, if they're both fit this year, they're going to be very hard to stop in a, another finals campaign. And they set up so well behind the contest as well, the Demons. Uh, their secondary contest is brilliant. They, they, they like a re- like the really good teams when they're going, like Richmond did and has, has done and probably can still do when it's on, uh, that ability to to um, accelerate away from contests and to be clean with their hands in tight, all that sort of stuff that comes naturally to teams that are full of confidence and winning games of footy. Um, we're not quite at that level yet. It doesn't mean that we can't, um, but they play with assured, they play with the surety of winners at the moment. And, and that's, that's the level. We're not far off it. We can see it, but there's work to do. And um it's exciting to be at least in the mix and it'll be, you know, this weekend's game is really interesting because North Melbourne are a desperate, clearly it's a club under enormous pressure at the moment. And it's one of those games where if we don't bring our best, we, we could lose because they desperately need to win. So heading into what's going to be a difficult back end of the year to be, to go in after this weekend, if we can at eight and three, is a really good result for the football club. Yeah, so having, probably interviewed many Segura players over the years and people associated with the club and just, just anyone who I guess is some sort of St Kilda. Is, is there anyone that you've sort of stood there and just thought, I'm, I could talk to this guy all day or someone <laughs> else that you sort of thought, um, oh yeah, I'll, I want to wrap this pretty quickly or is there any times you've sort of, you, you just recall yeah. Go, talking to someone 
Oh, look, I'm lucky enough to have got to know some of the guys pretty well through the Past Players Association. So there are lots of them that I find, you know, really fascinating and great fun. Um, obviously, the 2010, 2008, 9, 10, 11, 12, those teams, there are lots of people in, in that cohort of players that I that I um, admire and really, really like um, and think, you know, spent a bit of time getting to know. Robert Harvey, I got to know pretty well over the journey as well. Harves did a bit of pre-season, naughty pre-season training with Harves a bit over the years when he wasn't meant to be training. He'd sort of sneak off and, and use me as his donkey running laps somewhere or me trying to keep up with him on a treadmill uh, mountain climb, which was just a crazy thing to do. Um, uh, yeah, he, he, he'd rather train than breathe, Harves. Crazy bastard. Um but yeah, a plugger was always interesting to try to talk to. <laughs> uh, you always got the sense from, Rob, from Tony that he's one of those sports people that uh, that played the sport because he could and he was really, really, really good at it, like better than anyone. But he was never really enamored of it. Like, you know, some of them, like Nicky Dowell and guys, like, they love it. They, they will watch footy all the time, right? And they love it and they know it and they're just they're in it, right? They're fucking up. Oh, so sports, right? You can cut that out. They're just up to their necks in it, right? That was never that was never pluggers. That was never his go. You know, he just wasn't. That wasn't his thing. He was very matter of fact, and and um, you know, just it was. A, he had a job to do, and he did it, and he did it better than everyone else. And you got a real sense of that from him. So, um, he, he was he's he was always fascinating to sort of try to get an insight out of. Um, the one that I love, and I wish I'd been able to interview more, is Gilbert McAdam, who I just think is just the best. Like whenever I see him on NITV and, and talking footy, um, and it's, a, I think, a great shame that we didn't get more footy out of Gilbo because for whatever family reasons or whichever, whatever happened to the club that he sort of came and went in the blinding flash, um, he's, he's the one that um, I, I would like to have spent a bit of time talking to because I just think he's brilliant. And, and currently, you know, Paddy Ryder, I just think he's, we're blessed to have him. Like every every time he plays, I just think it's you just it, for me. It's like, okay, you've got to savor this because he's only got who knows him. At the very most, I reckon maybe thirty more games if you get another season out of him. So every one of these games is really special. I think he's the best ruckman we've had in, in decades. Um, uh, with no disrespect to anyone that's come before him, and we we get the privilege of watching him in a St Kilda jumper, and he, who knows he might you know bring us some success in some finals. So, and he's just such a beautiful person. Um, and I think that's reflected in the nature of the club. And we saw that last weekend in Adelaide, the way they care for each other. Uh, they've built a really strong culture of understanding on Indigenous issues and inclusiveness at the football club, which are issues that are important to me. Um, it's not just um, it's not just lip service to these really important issues. They actually mean it and believe it and it empowers them. And I think it makes them better people and better footballers. Um, so, I, you know, I think they're a really likable bunch. I, I don't have much contact with many of the current side at all, but um, I really, really like them from a distance. I think they represent us in our football club with real class. I'm not sure I could have said that any better, but Francis, last one from me before uh, before we wrap up. But one of the things that you and I have spoken about over the, the last couple of months uh, in some detail is as St Kilda fans, we know that there are always moments, you know, things that change the course of history and, and that sort of stuff. But if there was one one moment in your St Kilda fandom that you would change, whether it's a grand final moment or a prelim or whatever it is, do you have one moment that you wish that you could go back and revisit and go, I would change that and this is what would happen? 
Well, I think we all agree that the one is the bounce in 2010. But the interesting thing about that is that was not a choice of a football club or a bad decision or anything we had control over. Mm. So when we, I always say to people, ah, that, that is not that is nothing within our control. That is just wretched luck and fate that the ball bounced the way it did. So there's no there's no way you say, would we go back and change? You know, if I had you know the godly powers to make that ball bounce the right way for Milne and we win that game, we do. Um, so that that though is that moment because you know uh, you know. Um, uh, is a, it's that moment that defines careers. And I, as I said, I spent time with those guys and it doesn't, whenever I talk to any of them, it doesn't take long for that, that to come up, even obliquely. They always talk about it. They've never forgotten it. Um, and it sort of it lingers there all the time. Um, I'm so proud of them because they have that gathering with, with Ross Lyon every year and they've made a decision that uh, just because they didn't win a flag doesn't mean they can't have a reunion. doesn't mean they can't, you know, actually celebrate their success as, as a team and what they achieved. Um, and that, that's really important, you know, because I've said to a couple of them a few times, you know, particularly around finals time when you might get in contact with them and talk about who you think is going to win this weekend. And there's always that sort of, as I said, there's always that lingering thing about oh, it could have been us. And I always say to them, look, we could not have expected anything more from, from you guys. We're so proud of what you, you achieved as players and how close you got. And, you, you know, it was just, you know, losing to Geelong that day was like losing 10-8 to, uh, uh, you know, uh, Roger Federer in his best form at Wimbledon. They took him right to the wide, just made a couple of errors, and you just got done in the end. The, the bounce of the ball was just the way it was, and it feels a bit like Billy Buckner in the 86 uh, you know, uh, the Red Sox series when the ball rolled through his legs. I mean, those the sorts of things that you remember and you wish would change. So I wish the gods were kinder to us that day because that was, and it remains, something that I think about every couple of days, without a doubt, without a doubt. You just, you know, I've thought about it today even, just thinking through that play, that ball coming in and, and you know, that, that Lenny's kick and, you know, he hit it so hard if he, you know, hit the ball, you know, stupid shit. Like if he'd hit the ball at the, the point and it was a proper drop punt, it might do all of that shit, you know, he couldn't have worked um, Johnson under the ball any better. It was all there, but it wasn't to be. And we can't take it personally. That's the thing. Yeah. You tend to take it personally. You know, I'm cursed. It's not about me or you or anyone. It just is what it is. And hopefully it'll just make the moment when it comes a little sweeter and we can forget about it. Yeah, again, you've explained that beautifully. I've often tried to explain that. It, it kind of leaves a scar on your heart. It's amazing how often it comes into your head with the most random of things. You're walking into the supermarket or something like that. You relive passages of play or commentary from particularly 2010, even though 29 was wretchedly painful. Uh, just that, that drawer in 2010, the one where it goes to. And just as we let you go, obviously it was a big night um, last Saturday night, so I guess a lighthearted one. How was the – obviously one of the results – for you anyway, progressed a lot more comfortably than the other, whilst the other one was quite tense. What was the viewing habits on Saturday night with one in the balance and one seemingly over? Well, I was actually counting votes and scrutineering on Saturday night in Tasmania (laughs) from the seat of the tribe. So I was in, I was scrutineering. I was on the ballot box in La Trobe at, at, in Doc's home on Saturday on election day. So That's I, why I, we got up. Yeah. <laughs> I went and had my lunch away from, from the uh, polling booth just at the Doc's statue and um, just sort of sat there and and uh, and sort of um, had a moment of grace with the great man and then went back and did the work. So I, I didn't see much of the game. I saw the last two minutes. That's what I saw. And I was just looking at scores going along going, there's too many numbers in my head right now. I'm supposed to be looking at what these votes are saying and what the National Tally Room is saying. And uh, we didn't have a good night in terms of the Labor Party in Tasmania on the 
night um, in those seats that I was looking at, but the national picture was looking good. And, oh, shit, the footy's on. What's the score? Oh, Adelaide got their nose in front. Um, and just at the last two minutes, it's like the result had come in from Western Australia. You, beauty, we're going to win. Okay, quick, last two minutes, got my phone out and then <laughs> watched the last couple minutes just to cap off a brilliant night. So <laughs> <laughs> Not a bad result. They're the things we, uh, we often live for, the, the memorable nights. Francis, thank you. Uh, appreciate you jumping on and having a chat and uh, we can certainly feel the passion and uh, hopefully we can celebrate soon thanks guys thank you for inviting me on francis leach there a, a name and a face familiar with st kilda fans right across the land and shares the passion of most of us and you would have spotted the little Ralph clark badge he had on the uh, the jacket as well too which was a, a, a nice little touch um we look ahead to north melbourne um something that might pop up in a segment a little bit later on centered around um, Hunter Clark, who was 31 possessions last week and was due to return, but uh, went into the COVID protocol. So he'll miss the game. Uh, Jack Higgins would have been touch and go on concussion. I sense they might've held him over anyway, but he's in the uh, COVID protocol. So he'll miss till after the bye. three players named to the extended squad. So by Friday night, we'll know whether any of them are playing. That's Jared Lynott, Mitch Owens, and uh, also Dan Butler coming into the extended squad. I think North Melbourne have brought four in. One of them is Jaden Stevenson. But the way I see this game is I'm not as alarmed as a lot of people might be about the negative press North are copying. Yes, it's not ideal, and I wish it didn't happen. They actually had a reasonable week last week, so it's frustrating that they had a crack against Melbourne. It's not the week where normally people kick the shit out of you in the press when you've been somewhat competitive, but... Um, it is a story that's been told three, four, five times this year. It's not the first time this has come up. It, it's constantly been there. It's constantly been there. And I'm not immediately alarmed, assuming that they'll come out breathing fire and kick six in the first quarter or anything like that. But it is important that we start well, from, from my view. We don't do that very often. And to me, North Melbourne's only chance in a circumstance like this is to get a little bit of a sniff and to get their tail up early and then hold us off somehow. If we were to kick, say, four to one in the first quarter, then they don't get near us, I wouldn't have thought. So to me, it's a simple transaction. You've got to start well. And if you start well, then all of those thoughts and demons and worries and lack of confidence that exist in them come straight to the surface. What you've got to do is make sure you just keep the trap door closed. Just don't let them pop out. Don't let them get any sniff. And you should be able to then take care of business. So uh, you'll only have yourselves to blame if you allow that to happen, Saints for mine. It is a game they should put away. And that's, again, you've got to assess teams by their best. And North Melbourne led Sydney for three quarters in, at the SCG and they pushed Melbourne for two and a half quarters. They were okay against Hawthorne in round one. But it's fleeting moments in quarters here and there. So respect the good stuff, but be aware of what you need to do. And to me, you've got to start well. Just knock them on the head and say, not today. And that would be my advice. Well, that, that's it. I mean, we, we know that they're a, they're a young team. They're a developing team. They've got some talent, um, but but they're very limited in in what their capabilities are. And, and you know, it, it, like you said, it, it starts from the very first bounce and the pressure's got to be on from the very first bounce. It's, you know, you look back at, at some of our best teams and you've got um, you know, Aaron Hamill or Stephen Powell coming off the off the centre square at the first bounce and, and laying a big hip and shoulder or, or a big <clears> tackle or whatever in the first three seconds. Like that's where we've got to be this week. Put the pressure on from the very first minute and don't let up. And if we do that, I have no doubt that we win this game. Um, I was happy to hear that normal um, line the clubs will use 
on the radio this afternoon towards North Melbourne. Though it was the coach was asked about, and he gave the I out the boards fully behind him, and I thought, okay, that, that's the one thing I wanted to hear someone say because then you know there there's there's something bound to happen. So it's it's a nice little curse that quite often quite often comes up. So hopefully, yeah, that means it goes our way this week. And I mean, I, I don't see Noble being sacked, but um, yeah, it'd be nice to put a good margin on him and have have that thought in their head, maybe. But yeah, I, 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 they are still developing. They're, they're, they're going to have weeks where they show some really good football. They've got some really good young players in there. Um, but as you look at last week's game, they were within a goal of Melbourne with um, about 10 minutes into the third quarter and then Melbourne put on seven goals to nothing. So it's a similar trend to what we saw in our game a little bit. Um, Adelaide were a bit closer, obviously ahead of us when we started our run, but very, very similar timelines when you look at the two games that, yeah, the team in the end there kicks kicks away. And um, as you say, it'd be nice to have that little kick when we're actually ahead, like go into halftime and then come out firing the second half and like finish finish them off and get our percentage up towards the uh, the other couple of teams ahead of us at the moment and just make percentage something that's not really going to be an issue when it comes down later in the year. So um, they are they are a team to watch. That that's that's for sure. They've got they've got some, as I said some great young kids to watch um, play football, and they're the ones we have to be have to be aware of um they've got a few good leaders at the top but the young kids are the ones that will get past you and do things you don't expect and it's it can be dangerous at times but let's just hope that yeah our guys switched on from the first bounce get out there and let's let's see something that resembles a melbourne picking on a small team let's let's give someone a a nice little hiding it all starts in the middle as well. I mean, at, at their first bounce, they're likely to have Todd Goldstein, Jai Simpkin, Jason Horn, Francis, all all really good clearance players. And you know, it just it, it just means that that much more responsibility sits on the shoulders of Paddy Ryder and Brad Crouch and Jade Gresham and Jack Sinclair, who who are going to be in the middle for our first bounce, um, and we know can do the job. And they've just got to be switched on. If they're switched on, then then we win the game. I've got I've got zero doubts of that. If but if if we're even five or ten percent off, then it's a worry. It's a, it becomes a real danger game. Yeah, and my view is you're playing a side that's one and nine with a percentage of fifty three. That is, they can dress it up any way they like. They're in crisis. There's shit going on everywhere. If you lose to that team when you're trying to play top four, then that is your fault. So yeah. um, it, it's that simple. You, you know what's coming, so deal with it. And that's what good sides do. So that's what they've got to come out and do. I mean, North Melbourne will ask some questions, but answer them early and they'll stop asking them. They won't ask as many as Adelaide did last week. They certainly won't ask as many as Geelong or Richmond or Fremantle. They'll only ask a few. So if you answer them early, uh, they're on the right track still in terms of their list. But, you know, they're, they're a fair way off where they would like to be at present. So and the, I know a lot of people were sort of talking about percentage and, for me, the percentage is always a case of, you know, you win the game first and then if you, you know, you're six goals up at three-quarter time and in control and try to drive the advantage home and pick up as much as that as you can, like they did against Hawthorne. So no excuses. Um, yes, there's some players out, but North Melbourne's injury list is as long as the uh, 
uh, Hume Freeway. So they've got more out than we do. And certainly some of their key players like Cunnington and Ben Mackay and those types of players. So, uh, again, no excuses on that front either. So um, got a job to do. And with the likelihood, not the certainty, but with the likelihood that Fremantle would get beaten by Melbourne at the MCG, a win would put St Kilda into the top four at the halfway point of the season, which would be a tremendous result. And it's a great carrot. If you go into the bye in the top four at eight and three, that's a wonderful reward for your first half of the season. So that's what's on offer for them if they go out there and then they can have a crack at Brisbane after the buy and a massive top four clash. So they're the opportunities that are presenting for the Saints. We look at some of our awards. That's so St Kilda. There's actually a few floating around. Nick, did you want to uh, kick us off with this? Yeah, well, we've just been just been talking about North and I think yeah, it is very St Kilda. You, you touched on it um, earlier, Parko, but coming up against North this week after they've had a week that they've they've had a very public shellacking, I guess, so on a number of fronts. They've they've got obviously their own performances and and last week, I guess, being the anomaly in, in that they actually played quite well against the reigning premiers. But um, yeah, their their performances all season have been deplorable, which is putting it nicely. They've had obviously this week, three of their main recruiting football department guys have have walked out. Um, the Jason Horn Francis traveling without telling the club and giving the heads up. That's, that's been a disaster. They've been bagged pillar to post and it would be, it would be so St Kilda for them to come out and like you said, kick six goals in the first quarter and, and put the foot down and, and hold us to a couple of goals for the rest of the game and, and put us to the sword. That would be, that would be very St Kilda. I, I, I don't think it will happen, but it's always there in the back of your mind. And that's why it, that's why it sits there in this, in this uh, segment. That's right. It always hangs over our head. H, have you got one? Oh, you've probably got a feel for um, Hunter Clark. He's re- ready to come back again. And as as we see, yeah, he's been struck down this week. And yeah, he has to miss out two weeks. So it's, I'm pretty sure he'll probably play VFL next week. So at least he'll have, a, I guess, a bit of bit more game practice and get another game in under his belt and yeah hopefully then he can finally get back and come back in two weeks or well, three almost three weeks three weeks time now so yeah another just unfortunate run we've had with that where players either we're missing the players or a the team that we're playing is missing the players the week before us yeah i think it's a, a very good one i mean even at the time when he did the shoulder, I think they said a six to eight week injury. He's missed 11. We had a bye a week or so ago in the VFL, which stopped him from playing. And then he obviously has the COVID protocols, which stops him again this week. So yeah, that's, it's just those frustrating little niggly pain in the ass things that seem to happen to us on a uh, repeated basis. But um, for mine, it was probably the stat that um, there's a lot of stats on Twitter that are quite nasty. And I think our friend, um, Brad and also our friends at um, RWB Footy pointed it out. The stat was around Melbourne having the second most coaches' votes after 10 rounds of a season ever recorded. Um, second most. Uh, the most was St Kilda in 2009. And the third most was St Kilda in 2004. Uh, so, And I think the rest of the teams in the list were Melbourne in 2021, who won the flag, and Geelong in 2009, who won the flag. So, again... St Kilda's great seasons were the two outliers in that statistical category that when they dominated, they were the only teams that didn't win the flag. And you can, you know, you could be here all day running through those 
those historical quirks of grand finals and stats and things that have denied us premierships. And that was an extremely St Kilda statistic. But one good one I wanted to mention too was someone referenced uh, Tony Lockett's 1991 season on Twitter as well. And I think that's worth emphasising for those of maybe the younger generation that weren't watching footy in 1991. So Tony Lockett broke his back in the Foster's Cup against West Coast, missed the first six rounds, came back in round seven, kicked 12 against Adelaide, 10 against Brisbane and 12 against Sydney. So 34 goals in three weeks. He was leading the Coleman three weeks after he came back. He would miss two more games in the back end of the season, but he would kick 13 against Carlton, 11 against Sydney, and another 10 against Adelaide to bring up his 100, and nine in a final. He would kick 127 goals in 17 games at an average of 7.4. So if he had played every game that year, he would have kicked 163 in the home and away season. And had we have won at least one final, he would have kicked up in the 180s. Uh, it's extraordinary numbers that go beyond anything you could ever imagine. So uh, for those that uh, might not have seen Plugger in his heyday as a saint, that's the type of thing that uh, he was doing which is unheard of. But we, we look at some of our other uh, award winners. Uh, H, did you want to kick us off with the Jason Blake? Yeah, I'm going to go a little left field here in the way of – I'm not looking at the way to – the impact on the field of how the, this player plays, how he's, he's not well, – he's very much recognised in – his ability, he's very much recognised the way he plays, but I think behind the scenes maybe is not as recognised. Um, I'm leading this into something from earlier in the week that I think everyone should go and watch, but Paddy's Ryder, his interview on um, on the couch the other night, with um, on Monday night, just, just getting the insight into what the club means to him how he loves the footy, how he loves the club, how he loves everyone around him. He's and and what that it shows basically you see the players around him, you see everyone just just gravitating to him, going he's almost feels like he's been at the club forever. He's he's ingrained in the club now. It's he's the sort of player you go. We wish we'd had him since he was 18. It's just, I don't feel like sometimes that kind of impact on a team by a player, it it doesn't quite often get recognised. And you just watch him the other night and you can see it it all came out and you're going, the club is so much better with him there. And we, we wish we could get another five, six years out of him. We know we most likely won't, but yeah, it's the sort of player we wish we'd had there a long time ago because he he has made a huge impact in the club since he got to us. And yeah, it's it maybe does, hasn't had the recognition um, of what he means to us until yeah, recently when he and he's pretty much told everyone this is how much this place means to me now. Yeah, I haven't seen anything like it, to be honest, from from a player coming into our club to be embraced like that. Um, Nick, how did you see the other Jason Blake? Yeah, just on on Paddy Ryder, I think I put something on Twitter a couple of weeks ago uh, around that that exact sentiment. 
Paco, that I, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it about a guy who comes to a club in the twilight of their career, you know, really only for a couple of seasons after having a really, a, a really high achieving career elsewhere at two other clubs and having the impact that is had from a, a fan perspective, engagement perspective, love of the club, dynamic type of engaging presence. Uh, I don't think I've, I've ever seen anything like it. And it, it really is, is, it's a joy to watch him play and it's a privilege to watch him play. And Francis said something similar about the impact that he's had on, on our club. H, you've just spoken about it. I think it's just, it's one of those amazing, incredible things. And like you said, H, I, I wish that we'd had him sooner. Um, but for my Jason Blake award, I've gone a little bit left field. I've gone Cooper Sharman. He's only been back in the team for a couple of weeks and he hasn't exactly set the world on fire, but he's played a really important role uh, in, in the last couple of weeks. Obviously, uh, against Geelong, the, the role that he played, uh, A, as a, as a hit up forward and, and was able to kick a couple of goals um, as well, but but also that that role in keeping Tom Stewart accountable was super important for what we were trying to do in the way that we were trying to play, um, stopping the extra man for, for Geelong and, and making sure that their defenders were, were accountable for a man and making sure that they had something else to do other than just rack up intercept marks. And, and again, this week, the role that the role that Cooper Sharman played, uh, again, either either kind of leading out of the goal square or, and and towards the wings and into the pockets, or keeping someone like a, a Tom Duday accountable and and some of their their defenders as well, um, still hit the scoreboard, kicked a really important goal in the last quarter, super important goal in the last quarter, um, and was able to do what needed to be done. Was able to do his job when it counted. But when it wasn't going our way, we're still providing an outlet. We're still um, providing a contest and playing a role that was impactful and, and valuable in, in a number of other ways. And, and I don't think um, forwards often get uh, recognition for, for those sorts of things, but been really impressed with Cooper Sharman over the last couple of weeks. And you know, if he keeps doing that, then I, I don't see him playing VFL again for a very long time. For me, Dougal Howard uh, gets my nomination. I've mentioned him a couple of times in the other category for decision-making at times, but I think his role as captain of the club on the weekend as well in the absence of, of Jack playing in that traditional fullback role and I think 11 spoils, very good one-on-one, took a couple of nice marks. I know Wilkie was clearly the best defender on the ground, but we've obviously mentioned him in terms of votes and the unsung award goes to Dougal Howard, who wasn't too far off him, I think, in, in that space. He was... Um, Pretty solid. And um, yeah, apart from a couple of brain explosions, he's had a, a pretty good year overall. So he gets my Jason Blake. Nick, what about the um, Shannon Knoll Award coming into uh, to this week? I think maybe one or two players who were going to be unlucky to get dropped might have been spared by the Hunter Clark news. Yeah, interesting one. Interesting one. A lot, H touched on it before that there were very few players that, that didn't play their role or that didn't impact the game in, in one way or another. I mean, we all know that up, well, up until three-quarter time, Billings only had four or five touches and, and hadn't done a lot, but then was really important in the last quarter. Uh, Mason Wood, again, has some has some quiet moments, the occasional um, lack of focus with, with disposal or whatever, but again, kicked a really important goal. And one of the things that we mentioned a few weeks ago was in those moments – when he gets that chance in the last quarter or, or in front of goal that he needs to take those games. Otherwise he's going to be one of those blokes on, on the bubble, on the cusp of being dropped every week. But, you know, he stepped up when, when he needed to, and he kicked that goal. Um, this one, 
is more to the coaching department. And it's something that we've touched on a little bit tonight in, in this episode, but also for, for a couple of weeks. But that slow start, that slow start needs to be fixed. We cannot continue through the second half of this year. We've got a really tough fixture. We cannot continue giving teams two or three goal starts uh, in the first quarter. I mean, Adelaide, in this one, it it almost didn't matter because they were so wasteful in front of goal, but they had nine of the first 10 inside 50s. They had the first three scoring opportunities. If Adelaide were a better team, we saw what happened against Melbourne when you give a good team those opportunities. They'll burn us. Better teams will burn us, and we need to start games better. And the coaching department, uh, Rats, I love what Rats is doing, but he's got to get better, and his team has to get better at motivating the guys to come out firing and to not start slow because we cannot afford to do that in the second half of this year. And I agree. I think it's, as I was saying, I think it's the only way we could lose this week. Um, H, your uh, your Shannon Noel, Max King in the. Oh. Um, Max King in the hope that he kicks 12 or um, <laughs> so yeah, I definitely can jump off that bandwagon now but I, I don't want to be back on it next week that's all i got to say um, I think Ben Long needs to watch his spot there's a few players coming back we got they got another week off a few more players will show their I guess abilities in the VFL next week when we're not playing so it'll be a bit more focus on them so he needs a good game this week, I think, to hold his spot. Um, you got Butler coming back. Um, Higgins will probably come back. Clark's looking for a spot. It, the pressure is on him now. Um, it, if he gets a job, he's got to do it perfectly this week, I think. So, I mean, he, he's a pretty good... Um, barometer at times that if he has a good game, generally we have a very good game. Um, so it's a, it's a fact that he, he didn't, he didn't do a lot on the weekend. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah, it, the position may not be there after the buy if he hasn't, doesn't have a great game this week. So let, let, let's see a big, big week this week, Ben. And then, let, let's make that position hard to take off you. Don't don't just fall over and let one of these other guys come straight in. And let let's let's all have him fight for it. it. Makes it just makes us a stronger team. I think Ben was certainly the one. I would have been sort of tempted to go that way. To me, it's probably a couple of zones that I wanted to mention in, in terms of lifting. One is the the midfield, generally speaking. So Brad Crouch has been super, but obviously I think they felt the loss of Jack Steele a bit last week in clearances. So it's another chance to you know, adjust to that. Um, whether someone comes in like Owens, I don't know. But just that existing group to stay on top of their game. Obviously, Seb Ross has been very good. Was a little off on the weekend. Billings was a bit quieter. Um, just need those guys to, to keep carrying that load. And the other one would be the small forward slot in that we know Higgins is out. Butler's floating around on the bench. We didn't have either of them last week. We didn't look like we had a lot of crumbing options. Ben Long struggled a little bit. So... Um, if you are playing in that type of role, be it Long or Wood, or if they pick Butler again, you know that you know Hunter Clark's going to come into the midfield and someone's going to have to go out. Jack Higgins is going to slot straight back into the forward line. So that that's where you're vulnerable. If you're asked to play that role and you don't deliver, then you're going to go out. So to me, that's probably the, um, the areas that we can just fine tune a little bit. But Fingers crossed. We know North have been under the pump, but it's our last game before a bye. So if we can head into the week off after a strong performance at home, 
eight and three and inside the top four. And it's a very nice position mid-year. Go Saints.